Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee, all the best. Here's a quiz. Guess how many people in the United States have the last name of Johnson? The answer is about two million. Hundreds of thousands of Americans have last names such as Anderson and Thompson and Wilson. Are you noticing a pattern? How about this? Consider the meanings of other common American surnames. Williams means son of William. Rodriguez means son of Rodrigo. Martinez means son of Martin. Jones from the family of John. This commonality, naming people by their relationship to a father or patriarch, is no coincidence. It's a deeply rooted tradition known as patronymics. Patro for father, of course, and nim for name, father name. On today's episode, we're going to be interrogating this tradition and in the process, exploring the history of coverture laws, marital customs, and more. As our guest, Amelia Hapgood, delves deep into the question, what's in a name? We're so excited to have her here today. To introduce our guest, Amelia Hapgood is a BYU student, a newlywed, a devout feminist, and a wannabe runner. She's from Arkansas and loves being in a family of all girls. Welcome, Amelia. My name is Amelia Hapgood. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am so excited to be here today. I want to start by posing a question to any men listening. Imagine if your name was Eric Anna's daughter or Mark Rachel's daughter. Isn't that bizarre? I know it sounds ridiculous, but that is literally what Kay Anderson or Sophie Johnson is. Apparently, the sort of metronomic convention is common in other cultures, such as in Iceland. That blew my mind when Amy shared this idea with me. When you flip the tradition, it seems unnatural, and ultimately, that is because we live in a patriarchal society. But today, I'm so excited to talk all about a certain patriarchal tradition, which is patronymics. For those who don't know, patronymics is a fancy word for the tradition of women taking their husband's last name and passing that paternal name down to their children. I can't wait to get into this. I have so many opinions and thoughts to share about this tradition, as well as some of the interesting history behind it. I honestly cannot comprehend that this tradition is continuing in the 21st century in the United States of America, but it is. So all I can do is analyze it and defy it. Let's do a quick introduction before I get into it, though. In case you already forgot, my name is still Amelia. I'm a 21-year-old college student at Brigham Young University studying sociology and global women's studies. I hope to start or work for a nonprofit that helps women and refugees. So if anyone listening has any opportunities, please reach out to me. I am a devout feminist, and I love learning about women's stories and experiences. Recently, I got married to my husband, Tyler, so the topic of this episode has been very relevant in my life lately. I also want to make it very clear that I have no intention of belittling or offending any person who decided to take their partner's last name. My best friend, Grace, always says that an empowered woman is a woman who does whatever she wants, and I believe it. I know that not all women have the privilege of considering things like this, so I'm so grateful to be able to make this decision. I also am no expert by any means on anything really, but especially on this. I am passionate though, so here I am. 
I grew up as one of four sisters, all of whom look alike in a lovely home in Arkansas. It was the sort of situation where our high school teachers knew all the Hapgood girls since we just kept trickling in. That name, Hapgood, means everything to me. In Middle English, it translates to have God, and I wore that reminder with pride growing up. I thought it was so cool. Then it hit me freshman year of college that when and if all three of my sisters got married, the Hapgood name would die out. There are no male cousins on my dad's side, so the name would literally end with my youngest sister. That devastated me. I grew up hearing about Shadrach Hapgood, a 14-year-old little boy who left Gravesend, England, and arrived at the Boston Harbor weeks later. Or, this one's cool, notably, Isabel Florence Hapgood, who was an expert in many languages, a linguist, a translator, and a close friend of Leo Tolstoy. In family stories, Florence would go stay at Tolstoy's villa, and there are still many Russian novels that have been translated into the Hapgood version, which I loved growing up. Now, I know nobody cares about the history of a name and a family they've never heard of, but this all meant something to me. These ancestors and stories meant something. It was a pivotal moment when I realized that the Hapgood name would be over in our line. I remember crying and crying. I felt a deep hurt as if my history, the history of my family, was being erased. Of course, it wasn't and never will be, but it hurt. I considered my history to be intractably tied to this name, Hapgood. My accomplishments, my failures, my dreams, my hopes, every roll call in elementary school, every tryout, every heartbreak, every award, every book I read with my dad. The name was who I was, my foundation. I was raised in a Hapgood home to Hapgood parents. It was freshman year of college when I decided I was going to go against tradition against the practices that I had been raised to adhere to. I decided I was going to keep my name. And I remember, I was like, why? Why is this still a tradition? Why do patronymics continue to exist? It isn't fair, and it is so blatantly sexist. It doesn't make any sense to me. I didn't realize it at the time, but my feminism was awakening. So, like I said, I recently got married and I told my husband Tyler that I was keeping my last name and he was very supportive. I think he struggled with it a little bit at first, but ultimately was understanding. I realized that this is a choice that should be thoroughly discussed before marriage instead of just assumed, because it is always assumed that the woman will just take the last name. But we are two separate individuals with separate childhoods and names maintaining our individual identities. I saw a comment on the Breaking Down Patriarchy Instagram, which said that basically a strong partnership is not based on a name, but based on the actions in the marriage, which is absolutely true. So yes, one could argue, then it's not a big deal if you change your name, because it isn't important anyways. It's all about actions, not names. Again, it should be a decision independent from anything else but an inner desire and truth that a woman has and feels. So, like I said, I was married a few months ago, and naturally, I've been in the thick of the incredulous gasps when people hear I am keeping my last name, like it is the most radical thing. I've learned that a lot of my relatives are a little less open to this than most of my younger female friends, just because of generational gaps, etc. I opened so many wedding letters from kind guests that said, to Mr. and Mrs. Tyler Mumford, where I was completely erased. And I know they all mean well, but how is that the norm? 
People also tell me to take my husband's last name because a family needs to be unified under one name. But isn't a hyphenated name still one name? Others have said they feel so bad for kids who have hyphenated names because it's so complicated. And again, I'm like, it's just two more syllables. Personally, I would have killed to be a Hapgood Perry because I am part of my mother's history and family and I love them. It isn't as complicated to have a hyphenated name as everyone says. We really need to destigmatize that so it happens more often. I think it would be so cool to live in a society where everyone has hyphenated names. In Spain and Chile, custom dictates that women keep their surnames. So where did America go wrong? I also hear that I should make my maiden name my new middle name. Again, another piece of me disappearing. Catherine is my middle name, not Hapgood. Catherine has been in our family forever on my mom's side, and I love it. It's like, with all these unsolicited suggestions, I knew I was unwilling to compromise my namesake for society's standards and traditions. The barrage of unwanted advice has been proof that we absolutely continue to live in a patriarchal society and world. Again, I know this might sound dramatic to some of you, but I've just grown up in a religion and lifestyle where names mean so much. In the LDS faith, we get sacred names in our holy temple. We get baby blessings where our names are declared in front of everyone. So naturally, I have valued my name. Again, I don't want to make it sound like someone who took their husband's last name didn't value their own name. An empowered woman does whatever she wants. I remember one time I was at work and a man had recently gotten married to a woman. When the woman told me her last name, her husband snickered and said, but not for long. And it was so weird and belittling and made me so uncomfortable. Like in a short amount of time, her name will be gone. And he was so excited. And I could tell that this man had never considered another way where his wife would keep her own last name. It was just the right thing, the correct thing, the norm to him. And it was so unnerving. It got me wondering, where did this tradition even start? What is it rooted in? And how can it have lasted for so long, especially in a country where men supposedly are equal to women? Historically, surnames were not that important because most people were only known by their Christian name, which was given at baptism. It eventually got too complicated to differentiate between so many Thomases and Anns that surnames were born, usually from one's occupation, location, or lineage. The practice of a woman taking her husband's last name is a vestige of a law that dates back to the 11th century. Sometime after the Norman conquest, the Normans introduced the idea of coverture to the English and the seeds of a long-standing tradition were planted. Online, I saw a definition of marriage that said, quote, it is an institution born from a practice designed to entrench women's subordination, bypassing them on like cattle from one man, the father, to another, the husband. And name changing for a long time was a key symbol indicating that a married woman was her husband's property, close quote. Obviously, marriage is different today for a lot of people, so this definition seems a little intense and dramatic. I am an equal partner to my husband, and he would never treat me as less than. And I know many women in the same position. So why then is this tradition still continuing? There are a plethora of possible reasons. Many women want to. It could serve as a unifying symbol that ties the couple together. It solidifies commitment. It's tradition. Or, in my opinion, because we continue to live in a rigorous patriarchal society where not enough people have questioned 
the power rankings to notice that something is off. There are several older women in my life who are role models of mine. One of them is a woman named Stephanie who's so outspoken and brilliant. She tells me that to this day, she mourns the loss of her name, the one she grew up with. She said something so interesting, quote, I think when one gives up one's name, they literally give up their identity. And I also think that's why some marriages struggle right out of the gate. The wife just gave up a huge part of herself. And as time goes on, women subconsciously start taking on their husband's thoughts and beliefs. And in my sister's cases, they have basically taken on their husband's brains. They have lost the ability to think for themselves. I think it all starts when they give up their names. It starts the process for many women to forget that they are an individual with needs and desires and passions. They focus so much on their husband's needs that they literally lose who they are. Giving up one's name is the catalyst for all of this. Having said all of that, however, because we live in a patriarchal society, even if one does keep one's name, so many women still end up losing who they are and taking on their husband's way of life. But keeping one's surname will at least make it easier to stay focused on oneself and a good reminder that even though couples come together and become one when they marry, they are still individuals who have had very different experiences. And as a result, their perspectives can and should be different. But unfortunately, so many women end up taking on their husband's perspective on life. It's all very tragic. I've seen it happen firsthand to eight out of my nine sisters, end quote. I saw on the Breaking Down Patriarchy Instagram post, too, that so many other women felt the same way, even after decades. They were mourning this loss. Workers at the Social Security office would try and talk them out of hyphenation because it is too inconvenient. And family members would say to just take your husband's last name. It's easier. All around these women are pressured by society and family and tradition. I wonder how many women I know would have kept their last names had they been in a more welcoming environment and society. Also, This is not even including the complexity and difficulty of legally changing one's name. Women have to apply for a new driver's license, passport, talk to auto insurance, social security administration, and more. It's daunting and not cheap. So it is no surprise that more women are opting for a hyphenated name. So both sides of the family will be equally represented in the last name of their children. Recently, I read an article in a magazine called Seattle Bride about coverture, which is the legal status of a married woman considered to be under her husband's protection and authority. The article said that, quote, coverture laws also prevented women from entering into contracts, engaging in litigation, participating in business, or exercising ownership over real estate or personal property. As succinctly stated by former Justice Abe Fortas of the United States Supreme Court in United States versus Yuzel, quote, coverture rests on the old common law fiction that the husband and wife are one, and the one is the husband, close quote. I felt a pang in my chest when I read that. I think we as a society need to think more critically about this. This tradition that began in England in the 12th century has not died with many other legal sexist laws, and I swear it is time to consider the effects of this tradition. I know if I had taken my husband's last name, I would feel a little bit like I was being erased. And I know that sounds dramatic, but spending my whole life as a hapgood and then one day the next, a new name, it seemed traumatic to me. 
Today, 20% of women opt to keep their last names, and when I read that number, I knew we had come a long way. Women like Kate Chopin, Virginia Woolf, Gloria Steinem would be proud. But we still have such a long way to go to support these women that want to keep their last names but don't, to destigmatize hyphenated names, and to end the tradition of patronymics. There is something so exciting about the fact that my kids will have my name too, because they are half of me. After all, I will spend nine months creating their cells, hair, skin, buns, and so many other things, so there is no way they are just getting my husband's last name. To me, it can be such a good marker of equality when both the parents' names are present, instead of one disappearing. And yes, I understand that my surname Hapgood is still patronymic, since it stems from the men in my lineage. My response to this critique is that I wasn't around back then when patronymics began and was embedded in culture, but I am here now, and I can do my part to slowly break this tradition. I think that's all it takes, is a few women who break the tradition until the numbers grow. There are so many options, whether it is making up an entirely new name or just abstaining from taking your husband's. So yes, Hapgood is patronymic, but at least I am actively making the choice and effort to keep it instead of assuming a new name that isn't mine. I will go against this patriarchal tradition in any way I can. This all being said, I'm so grateful to be a woman. It's so special and incredible. And hey, maybe one day we can switch this all around and live in a matriarchal institution. A world where the maternal name is passed down. Because the women are the ones creating life after all. Thanks for listening! We're so thankful to Amelia for this fascinating research, which helps us to make the invisible visible and allows us to be more intentional about the systems that we participate in. Before I go, I'd like to thank Sam Rose Preminger for our production, Brianna Jovan for our editing, and Lindsay Olivest for our social media. And as always, thank you listeners. We're so grateful to have you here. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider passing it on to a friend or leaving us a review. Those reviews help new people discover the project, and we want to share these stories and knowledge as far and as wide as we possibly can. Then make sure to join us again next week when we'll be joined by Holland Alabes Anderson, who will be telling us about the life of her grandmother, a jet-setting European beauty queen, navigating an old-world patriarchy where women's ambitions were ignored, women's labor was overlooked and unpaid, And the fight for recognition was a fight for survival. All of this next time on Breaking Down Patriarchy. Patriarchy.